When people share stories with me about moments that have really had an impact on their lives, it's fascinating to hear how many of these stories involve some kind of angel or potential angel or interpretation of an angel, whatever the case may be. These stories are often very personal and they deserve great reverence, partly due to the impact that they had on those involved. And some are probably too special or personal to make them not even justifiably shareable on a podcast. But other stories of these angelic interactions are so matter-of-fact to the faith-filled people who experienced them that the storytellers are more than happy to share them like they would any other special moment in their lives, like the birth of a child or even a wedding day. The story I'm about to tell you today is one of those. And as a storyteller, I should say that I consider it my responsibility to tell these stories from the perspective of those who lived them and then leave the interpretations and the explanations up to your hearts and minds, giving you something to ponder as the story does for me. Thanks for being here. I'm Jolie Hales, and this is Podsitivity. It has made me more open to when people say, yeah, I was visited by an angel and their wings were this big. And I, I think that that is probably true because they saw it the way in their mind they would envision it. And, and God will give us counsel and advice in the way we can best accept it. Thanks to modern medicine and diagnostics, today's five-year survival rates for women with breast cancer diagnoses are high, 99% if the disease is only found in the breast, which happens in 63% of diagnoses. If the cancer has spread to regional lymph nodes, the five-year survival rate is 86%. It's once the cancer spreads to a distant part of the body that survival rates really tank to 28%. But still, any percentage below 100% is understandably enough to drive a person's psyche into a tailspin. You realize during this whole process how fragile life is and how you really can't take any day for granted because it could be over so quickly. Meet Tracine, an authentic, matter-of-fact woman with an incredible sense of humor. This is a really old cake basket, and it's really ugly. She was always the fun-loving mom, sister, daughter, and aunt who put together those stacks of photo albums with those cartoon talk bubbles plastered across just about every picture. Anyone related to Tracine was pleasantly sentenced to having their lives documented at every single picnic, game night, Christmas party, or even a random walk around the town. Hi, we're at the Hotel Dow. We're just walking through. We're not staying. And when Tracine was a kid, she vividly remembers seeing multiple aunts and older cousins be diagnosed with this disease she knew to be called breast cancer. I just have vivid memories of a lot of breast cancer in our family. Seven relatives on her mom's side were diagnosed and two aunts on her dad's side, to be exact, which goes without saying is a lot. And when Tracine was 12 years old, 
Her family lived about halfway between her relative's home and the cancer treatment hospital about a state away. So these cousins and aunts would often stop at her house on the way to and from chemotherapy. And she got to talk to them about what they were going through on a regular basis. And I knew, I knew at 12 that one day it would be my turn to have breast cancer. And it wasn't paranoia. It was not fear. It was simply a fact that one day it would be my turn. So when I turned 30, I started having a mammogram every year. And every year that I got through my physical and my mammogram with a clean bill of health was a gift because I knew, I just simply knew that one day it would be my turn. When Tracine was in her 30s, she was married to a Navy doctor and living in San Diego with their three boys. Her mom, who was living a few states away, was the youngest of 10 children with births spanning over 21 years. And the oldest of those 10 children was her mom's sister, Aunt Dora, who also happened to be living in San Diego at the time. Because of the age differences, Tracine had never really been able to know her grandparents. So Aunt Dora, who was 21 years older than Tracine's mother, often filled that spot for her. On Thursdays, I would go visit my Aunt Dora and my Uncle Cy and catch up with them. Dora would often have conversation topics picked out in advance for Tracine and her to discuss. And one day, Aunt Dora talked to Tracine about her own experiences with bilateral breast cancer. Aunt Dora had been 45 when she was diagnosed and undergone a double mastectomy and chemotherapy. But as I pulled out of their driveway that day, I, I had this vivid impression that her cancer was just simply an experience in her life. It was not a good experience, but it did not define her, nor did she carry it with her every day. It was just part of her life and part of what she went through. And I remember thinking that as I drove home, it did not define her. Her conversation with Aunt Dora stuck with her over the years as Tracine and her husband raised their three boys. When Tracine was around 40 years old, her Aunt Dora passed away, having lived a fulfilling 90 plus years. Up until her death, she was the oldest surviving patient of breast cancer in San Diego County. And each year, the local news would even feature her story on TV. And even after she died, she continued to have an effect on Tracine's life. When Tracine was 45, the same age her Aunt Dora had been when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, Tracine's husband and the boys were out on a camping trip, so she was home alone. As far as breast cancer was concerned, she had been diligent in getting regular screenings and doing self-checks, and so far had been blessed with a clean bill of health. And now, with the boys out of the house for a few days, she had the chance to catch up on things, including sleep. And I had what I thought was a dream. And in the dream, my Aunt Dora, who had been dead for about seven years, came back. And she looked very much like herself. And she picked up my pointer finger and my middle finger of my right hand and she put it over on my rib. She remembers Aunt Dora appearing in her dream, taking her hand and pushing on her ribs so hard that Tracine immediately woke up. And I opened my eyes into the darkness and I said, I'm having a nightmare. 
Tracine reached over to where Aunt Dora had pushed on her ribs, and sure enough, there was something there. A lump. One that was in a place off to the side of where breast cancer is typically discovered, causing it to go unnoticed in self-checks and scans. In fact, Tracine believes wholeheartedly that had she not had this dream, she may never have found it. At least, not early enough. And that's not all she remembers. She says in the dream that her aunt also spoke to her. She told me that I was taking a year off from my life. I had breast cancer. And the third thing she told me was that I did not have the family curse. Family curse? What did that mean? And that was it. That's what she remembers. Some people who may experience such a dream might write it off as being a coincidence or attempt to theorize its psychological origin, but not Tracine. Having always been a woman of faith, it was almost matter-of-fact that something like this could happen. Worthy of reverence and gratitude, to be sure, but not in need of some sort of scientific explanation. So Tracine went to the hospital to be tested for cancer. She had a mammogram done, and no cancer showed up on the mammogram. She had an MRI, a CAT scan, and ultrasounds, and again, no cancer showed up. So it was invisible. But Tracine was convinced and had the lump removed and biopsied. I knew I had cancer, and the surgeon who removed the tumor originally pulled my husband aside, and he said, Rob... If it looks like a duck, and then he didn't finish. So it looked like cancer, even though they didn't know until the pathology report came back a week later. And her certainties were confirmed. She did, in fact, have breast cancer. I told my oncologist a little bit about this dream, and he just rolled his eyes. Her oncologist, who is the doctor responsible for treating patients diagnosed with cancer, was not buying the whole dead ant dream story. He was a man of science, and it was his job to treat her by using that science. And I mean, really, who can blame him? He looked at my family history. He said, you've got BRCA2. BRCA2? What was that? As the doctor explained... BRCA2 is a gene that everyone has, one copy inherited from each parent. But some people have a harmful version of BRCA2, a genetically mutated version that has a 50% chance of being passed to a child from a parent who also has this mutation. And if a person has this BRCA2 mutation, their chances of getting breast cancer or ovarian cancer pretty much skyrocket. Around 13% of women in the general population will develop breast cancer at some point in their lives, which honestly is kind of crazy to think about. But in contrast, 45% to 69% of women with the harmful BRCA2 variant will get breast cancer before they're 80 years old. That's basically a higher chance of getting it than not getting it, if you, as they say, have BRCA2. Tracine thought that over, and that's when it hit her the family curse. Her aunt had said something about Tracine not having something called the family curse, which had made no sense to her at all at the time. Could it be that the family curse was referring to this BRCA2 variant? It made sense in a strange way. Aunt Dora wouldn't have known what BRCA2 was. It was discovered just a few years earlier, decades after Aunt Dora had undergone treatment for her breast cancer. 
but maybe she had known there was something that ran in the family that elevated the chances of breast cancer, a family curse. The thought struck Tracine like a bolt of lightning. She may have breast cancer, but she suddenly knew that she didn't have BRCA2. The oncologist, on the other hand, was quite convinced of the opposite. He never did believe that I had had this dream. He thought I was a, some kind of a strange visionary. And we never did agree on my treatment. Now, your oncologist is not your new best friend. But in my case, he would just have a purple face when I would leave his office, and he wouldn't even look at me. And if Tracine had BRCA2, the oncologist believed her best chances of survival were to remove everything that could be removed if it had any ties to BRCA2 cancer. As soon as he saw my family history, he said, Tracine, you need to have a double mastectomy, an oophorectomy, a full hysterectomy, and a couple of other ectomies that I never heard of before. And I just blew him off and I thought, my dead aunt told me I don't have this gene. The oncologist was very frustrated with this strong-headed cancer patient. Not only was Tracine being flippant with her life in his perspective, but she was just plain wrong. He was the doctor, and her family history couldn't lie. She had to have BRCA2. And since that was the case, she needed these surgeries. But Tracine didn't feel good about getting the surgeries. She believes in following scientific evidence and professional advice of doctors who have trained for years on this stuff. I mean, she had married a radiologist after all. But something inside her told her many of these procedures would not be best for her. So she declined them. Instead, she opted for treatments more aligned for a person without BRCA2. She had multiple smaller surgeries to remove as much of this cancer as was possible. So like every four weeks, I was having surgery to try to get clean margins, clean margins, clean margins. And they just, they couldn't do it because they couldn't see what they were cutting. In most similar breast cancer patient cases, if the cancer spreads, it usually spreads into the lymph nodes located around the armpit. So surgeons will often remove those lymph nodes and present the patient with a stage diagnosis, like stage three, if it has spread into the sentinel lymph node located in the armpit. And if it hasn't spread, then maybe a stage two. But when doctors took a closer look at Tracine, they realized it hadn't gone into her armpit. It had appeared to go somewhere else entirely. They were doing this test and my husband was with me that day and I looked over and he had changed out of his civilian clothes into his uniform so I knew something was going on. And he, I said to one of the residents, what's going on? I've been laying on this table for 45 minutes and he turned the monitor so I could see it and he said, hold still, we'll start the test again. And they had injected dye into where the tumor had been and instead of going into my armpit, where 95% of the time it should go, it went into my sternum. And I was confused. I said, do I, do I have lymph nodes in my sternum? And he, he said, yes, you do. And I said, well, can you fetch them? And he said, no, we can't. And I said, so if my cancer has spread, if I am a stage three, 
It's in my sternum and we will never know. And he said, basically, that's correct. The sternum is that big, flat bone that runs up and down the front of the chest, and it helps protect the lungs and heart. And if Tracine's cancer had spread to the sternum, as it appeared that it might have, doctors wouldn't be able to know for sure, let alone be able to access it. So Tracine's cancer stage was left unknown. Possibly a two, if it hadn't spread to the sternum, but if it had, then it could be stage four, possibly deadly. At that point, Tracine opted for a single mastectomy and then chemotherapy and just hoped that would get rid of the cancer, wherever it may be in her body. My tumor was 2.5 centimeters. It should have been removable. I should have been able to have a lumpectomy and then chemotherapy, but it didn't happen. I just decided I need to move forward with chemo. I can't do it if they don't have clean margins. I'm going to go ahead and have a mastectomy. It was totally my decision. And to put it lightly, starting chemotherapy sucked. When my husband got home from work that day from the hospital, I was resting and he came in and he put his hand on my leg and he said, you're going to feel like you have the flu. Um, not really. I was camped out on the floor with my cheek on the linoleum of the floor in the bathroom and just throwing up, I was violently ill. Her husband clarified, a really, really, really bad flu, he said. And I said to Rob, I feel as weak as a lamb. And he goes, how do you know lambs are weak? They could be strong. And I just said, oh, shut up. After that, Tracine was gratefully also given anti-nausea drugs to go along with her chemo treatments. And when it came to the BRCA2 variant, Tracine couldn't have genetic testing done at the time because the chemo could easily produce a false positive. So they had to wait for six months until treatments were over before they could even do the test to see who was right, the oncologist or Tracine's dead aunt. And back in 2004, she couldn't just spit in a tube and send it off to 23andMe for results. I had to watch a whole bunch of DVDs. And then I had a meeting at UCSD with a genetic counselor and had to discuss all the possibilities of having this gene. Finally, they just took blood and sent it off. It took five weeks to get the results. And when the results came back, they were negative. Contrary to what seemed like what may have been an obvious correct conclusion from the oncologist, Tracine did not have the harmful BRCA2 variant. Now that it's been 15 years, this was in 2004, I understand why more radical surgery at that time would have been a really bad idea. And I'm grateful to have had an intervention from the other side of the veil to help me know what I should do with my life. When she got the results of the genetic test, she made a photocopy, walked down to her oncologist's office, and left it on his desk. And he would not take my calls for six weeks after that because he had been so adamant that I have all this radical surgery for such a long time, and here I came back negative. And I told him, I said, my aunt told me when I had that dream that I didn't have the family curse, and I didn't know what that meant until you told me about the BRCA2 gene. He said, I would have bet my paycheck 
that you were positive. After having seen her oncologist's adverse reaction to the story about her aunt appearing in a dream, Tracine pretty much kept the story to herself and didn't share it with additional doctors she saw, except for one. The plastic surgeon responsible for her reconstructive surgery after having her single mastectomy. I told him about the dream and he looked at me and he locked eyes with me and he said, Tracine, he said, how did your aunt look? And I was a little confused and I said, well, she looked just the same as she did in life. He said, was she dressed in white? What was she wearing? I did not know where he was going with this. And I said, well, actually, she was wearing the same thing I saw her wearing when I would go visit her every Thursday. The plastic surgeon relayed a story where his mother's brother had appeared to her after he had passed away, and that when he appeared, he had been wearing a postal uniform, the one he used to wear when he worked for the post office. And he said, I've always been curious about when the dead come back, what they're wearing, because my uncle Paul was wearing his postal uniform. <laughs> but he totally, totally believed me and respected me in a spiritual way, which I didn't get from any of my other doctors. After about a year of treatments, doctors couldn't find any trace of breast cancer in her body. Of course, they would never really know for sure because again, if the cancer had gone into her sternum, they wouldn't be able to see it. But with no sure sign that any cancer remained, they concluded Tracine's treatment and hoped for the best. But the story doesn't end there. It was just a little over a year. I still, with every thought, with every movement, in the back of my mind, I would think, did they get it? or will it come back? It was part of everything I did. I wore my cancer like a real heavy metal around my neck and I could not go on. I could not get to the next thing because I was so concerned about whether or not they had gotten it all. With as clean a bill of health as Tracy was going to get, her best friend Patty wanted to celebrate by taking a trip to Italy together. So they packed up their bags and flew to Milan. Once they arrived, Patty, who spoke both English and Italian, announced that they needed to go buy some new luggage. So they had a fun time going luggage shopping in Milan, Italy, and ended up with some new suitcases to take back to the States at the end of the trip. But when they walked out of the luggage store, it was raining outside. Unenthusiastic about rolling brand new luggage down the streets of Milan in the rain, they decided to head to the nearby main square to find a taxi. They arrived at this large open main square to find that the rain and cold temperatures had pretty much chased everyone away, including apparently the taxis, and they found themselves alone in this wide open space. Except for one person. A man with dark curly hair wearing an average tan trench coat was walking in their direction, probably with the intent to just walk on by and pass them. But Patty stopped him. She said, excuse me, can you tell me where we can find a taxi? And I was baffled. She was speaking in English. And she speaks Italian, but she talked to this man who did not look American at all in English. And I thought, how peculiar. And he said, certainly, you just cross this little street here 
and go down to the corner and there will be a taxi. And I went, wow, he speaks English. And I pride myself in being able to identify accents in people. But his was very peculiar and I could not put my finger on it. Tracine probably wouldn't have remembered him at all, except for what happened next. The man took a look at Patty and asked if he could read her hand. He didn't want any money to do it, and he didn't look like a scammer, but, I mean, then again, what does a scammer look like? Tracine thought back to her conservative upbringing. Having grown up in a religious family, hand reading was categorized alongside crystal balls, tarot cards, and fortune telling. It was faux pas to trust it. And this was some rando on the street. She would have been more than fine with thanking the stranger for his help and heading promptly in the opposite direction. But Patty's upbringing had been different, and she was game to try just about anything. Sure, Patty said, holding out her hand. The man took Patty's hand and looked her in the eye, and then began to speak. He started telling Patty about her life, right down to many of the things that Patty and Tracine had recently talked about to each other. I thought, they have bugged our room because there is no way he could be so specific. Because a lot of that stuff I did not know until the night before. And he was spot on. And he gave her some great comfort and some great counsel for her life. And as he finished, I put my hand behind my back because I knew what she was going to do. She's my best friend. I knew what she was going to do. She reaches over, she grabs my hand, and she goes, I will pay you to read her hand. And I said, it's not necessary. I, I have a pretty good internal compass. I don't need him to read my hand. But with some friendly coaxing from her best friend and an overwhelming feeling that Tracine could somehow trust this man, she finally gave in. Finally, I just said, okay, read my hand. And he took my hand and he looked in my eyes and he started telling me about my life and he was spot on. He told me I grew up in a small town, that I had loving parents, that I had three siblings. He knew how many siblings I had, that I was in the middle of the family. I was not the oldest or the youngest, that I was well-educated. Anyway, he just told me about my life. And when he finished, he did not finish with counsel or any kind of finishing thought like he did with Patty. They asked his name, to which he replied that it was Sergio. And I said, that's really good, Sergio. You're spot on. This is exactly my life. I said, but you left out a really big part. And my hair was still really short. I said, you left out that I'm a cancer patient. And he looked so surprised and he looked in my eyes and then he looked at my hand and he took his finger and he ran it down my lifeline on my hand and he, he looked so mystified. Then he looked at Patty and she shook her head, yes, it's true, because he did not believe me. And he finally just said, if you had this cancer, if you had it, 
It is gone from your body and it will never bother you again in your lifetime. And I felt this lightness at his words that it would never bother me again because I carried it with me so profoundly at that time. And I don't know if Patty knew it was still so much a part of me, but I know that God knew it was time to move on. It was time to get to the next part of my life and I couldn't do it if I was standing there staring at cancer every day and every night in every thought and in every moment. Tracine and Patty thanked Sergio for the encouraging words as well as the directions to the taxi and then they turned to go their separate ways. And it was four steps across the road to get to the curb. And Patty always wears heels. So her heels were clicking and they, they went click, 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 click. And both of our feet hit the curb on the other side of the street at the same time. And we both simultaneously whipped our heads around to see where he went. And there was no one in sight. Patty and Tracine were surprised to see that they were the only people in the large rainy square. They turned their heads every which way, straining to see where Sergio could have possibly gone. Even if he had been in a dead run, we would have seen him. It was as almost as though he had vanished into thin air. Staring straight ahead of her, Patty said, I think we've just been visited by an angel. And I said, I think so. And so from that moment on, I had a new perspective that my cancer had a beginning, a middle, and an ending. It was simply an experience, a part of who I am. It did not define me, but that whole experience changed my life and allowed me the freedom to go on with the next phase of my life. And Patty, to this day, she still texts me about things that Sergio said to her that were happening and that it gave her such great comfort to have those things. For me, it was completely one-sided. It was an experience in moving on and, and going to the next part of my life. It's been 16 years since this experience, 16 years that Tracine can confidently say that she's cancer-free, even though tests could never really say that for sure. I still get a mammogram every year, but I don't, I don't have that thought that it'll be my turn because it already was my turn. And now that's over and it's time for me to move on. Tracine looks back on the day she met Sergio in the square and she's had years to contemplate that day. That was the perfect venue for us to meet him, was for him to offer to read Patty's hand. If he had said it to me, I would have blown him off. But he said it to Patty, who was spiritually very much in tune with other people's spirits. We're still confused about where he's from, but you know, maybe one day we'll know, maybe not. I, I'm not sure. Not only did the chance encounter bring her comfort, 
but it has shaped her perspective in a way that she hadn't really previously considered. Well, it's made me less harsh and less judgmental of the venues that God uses to connect with us. Because obviously I grew up in a home that would not have a palm reader in it um, or even consider such a thing. And yet I can testify that this man, whoever he was, was sent from God to release me from a purgatory that I could not release myself from. And I, I didn't think it was gonna cripple me, but I, I could not move on with my life. There is no question that this is how he works and how he worked in my life. I know Tracine because she is actually my aunt. Specifically, she's my dad's sister. I, too, have sticker talk bubbles next to my face and mounds of family photo albums thanks to my Aunt Tracine. And I also have years of great memories of Christmas parties she would throw for the family and blunt jokes that would leave me laughing about days later and great conversations with her honesty and her candid way of speaking. She is a delight. I also remember when she went through this cancer experience. I had interviewed her on camera about it shortly afterwards for a film project when I was in grad school. But I didn't actually know the Sergio part of the story until this conversation. And since you've probably connected the dots, having Tracine as my aunt means that all her relatives who had breast cancer are by default my relatives. Her family history is also my family history. And thankfully, I am happy to report that all 10 relatives who were diagnosed with breast cancer, even before technology in this field was really all that advanced, survived, which are some pretty awesome odds, I would say, and we're grateful for that. As for the BRCA2 variant or the family curse, I've been tested, and thankfully I don't have it either. Like a lot of women in their 30s, I've had my own share of scares and unwelcome lumps that had to be tested, including this ugh, this stress-inducing biopsy while I was nine months pregnant, literally days from giving birth. They had to do this biopsy on me. It was so stressful. <laughs> But you know what? Not nearly as stressful as it could have been. So far, so good. And, and honestly, just as Tracine said, I consider each day to be a gift. I will say one thing, though. If one of these relatives suddenly appears to me in a dream, I'm probably going to pay pretty close attention. Thank you for joining me today. And in case you're wondering, the whole point of this podcast is to shine a spotlight on the good out there in the world the moments, the stories that really matter, because I think we could honestly all use a bit more hope. So if you have a story to share, please go to the Facebook page for Positivity and fill out the form you can find there because eventually I'm going to run out of stories from my circle of friends and relatives. And if you want to also help spread the word, please do tell a friend. I've said this before, but if I get like a solid number of listeners by the time I release episode 10, then I'll keep doing this. It takes like a long time to make these episodes, but I'm, I'm willing to do it if it helps anyone out there. And you can find Positivity on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, um, wherever. And if you sign up for our Patreon, which helps us pay for music rights, then you'll get the episodes a couple days early and you'll get, obviously, a lot of gratitude from me and my family. 
All right, this is Positivity. I'm Jolie Hales, and always remember you're worth more than you know. Bye.